Our text today comes from the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, verses 32 to 52. You can follow along on page 7 in your bulletin. Jesus and his disciples were on the road going up to Jerusalem with Jesus in the lead. The disciples were amazed while the others following behind were afraid. Taking the twelve aside again, he told them what was about to happen. He t- Look, he said, we are going up to Jerusalem and the human one will be handed over to the chief priests and the legal experts. They will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles. They will ridicule him, spit upon him, torture him, and kill him. After three days, he will rise up. James and John, Zebedee's son, came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They said, Allow one of us to sit at your right and the other on your left when you enter into your glory. Jesus replied, You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I receive or the baptism that I receive? We can, they answered. Jesus said, you will drink the cup that I receive and the baptism I receive, but to sit at my right or my left isn't mine to give. It belongs to those for whom it has been prepared. Now, when the other ten disciples heard about this, they became angry with James and John. Jesus called them over and said, you know that the ones who are considered the rulers by the Gentiles show off their authority over them, and their high-ranking officials order them around. But that's not the way it will be with you. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be slave of all. And the human one didn't come to be served, but rather to serve and to give his life to liberate many people. Jesus and his followers came into Jericho As he was leaving Jericho, together with his disciples and a sizable crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, Timaeus' son, was sitting beside the road. When he heard about Jesus, that Jesus of Nazareth was there, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, show mercy. Many scolded him, telling him to be quiet, but he shouted even louder, son of David, show me mercy. Jesus stopped and said, Call him forward. They called to the blind man, Be encouraged, get up, he's calling you. Throwing his coat to the side, he jumped up and came to Jesus. Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Teacher, I want to see. Jesus said, Go, your faith has healed you. At once, he was able to see, and he began to follow Jesus on the way. This is the word of God for all the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. It was about a decade ago that I saw a news article that you you just could not ignore. The news broke that Prince Harry, the son, of, of course, of Prince Charles and Princess Diana, was serving with the British Army in Afghanistan. Now, military duty is not required of the British royal family, but it has been a a somewhat of a tradition that the royals would serve from time to time. And Harry was very much interested in serving. So in 2008, 
He was sent to Helmand Province in Afghanistan as a cavalry officer, and he coordinated airstrikes from the ground. There is a picture that shows the young Harry in his barracks, not in the opulence of a palace, but in the barracks that any other soldier would live in, and dressed like any other soldier in camouflage. He was in Afghanistan serving in the British Army for 10 weeks. And it was a, the feat was only possible because most of the British press decided to work with the, um, the royal family to not share this news. Of course, there were security concerns because, of course, this was a prince and this was out in Afghanistan. So for a long time, for those 10 weeks, no one heard anything. That was until an Australian newspaper did break the story, and he had to leave. But that wasn't his first time serving. He served again four years later, in 2012 and 2013, in Afghanistan, this time as a co-pilot gunner from a helicopter. There was just something interesting to me to see someone like Prince Harry, someone who was considered a, ro a royal family, someone who was in line to the British throne, being willing to be a common grunt. He was willing to live a life of service, to be a servant. In an interview shortly after he returned from Afghanistan the second time, he shared kind of what those two um, deployments did to him, how he felt, and how it changed his life. I want to share just a paragraph that he, wrote, that he um, said. On my first tour to Afghanistan in 2007 and 2008, and more, and again more so on my second tour in 2012 and 2013, I saw some horrendous things. The tragic injuries and deaths of local people from roadside bombs, some of whom were children, coalition forces lying on the battlefield, and the constant ferrying of injured personnel to the hospital and Camp Bastion. Radio in the details of their injury to the hospital, which sometimes included the phrase op vampire when the casualty needed a lot of blood, still sends shivers down my spine or lying late in night at bed while our accommodation shook from the downforce of a Chinook or a Black Hawk helicopter. That was a constant reminder of what was all happening around. See it, smell it, hear it, feel it. There was no escaping it. That experience led him to create what has been, is called now the Invictus Games. This is a sporting, international sporting event for injured veterans. And he became, in this experience, a true servant to his nation and to his fellow soldiers. Our text today has Jesus on the road. He is on his way to Jerusalem. The text is interesting because it says that he's going up to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem sits on a hill, and Golgotha, 
where the crucifixion would take place is yet kind of another hill. So when it says that he is going up to Jerusalem, he truly is going up to a place where he knows what will happen to him. As they are walking, Jesus turns around and tells the disciples that he is going to be handed over to the authorities, tried and put to death. He adds that after three days, he would rise again from the dead. This is actually in Mark the third time that Jesus tells his disciples what he will face. If we went back to chapter 8, he asks who people say that he is. And then who do people, who the disciples, especially Peter especially, say that he is. Peter responds by saying that Jesus is the Messiah, the King. But then Jesus then starts to talk about his upcoming death. And Peter decides to stand up and rebuke Jesus. And Jesus, in return, rebuked Peter. He didn't get it. In chapter 9, there is an argument among the disciples. They are all arguing who is the greatest? And Jesus again explains what is going to happen to him. And now here in chapter 10 is the last of those, of those kind of predictions where he says that he will die again. And even then, after three times of being told what would happen, two of his disciples, James and John, come forward. They want to be on the ground floor of whatever is going to happen. They see him as a king, a ruler, and they wanted to be on his right and left hand. They wanted to be in the leadership. Jesus was not having it. He basically tells off James and John for wanting to be granted, granted this special access. And then he tells the rest of the disciples what his ministry is all about. You know that the ones who are considered the rulers by the Gentiles show off their authority over them and their high-ranking officials by ordering them around. He tells them that in, the, in this way, in the world, what authority does, what leadership does, is that they tell other people what to do. But Jesus says that is not the way of Jesus. He says, whoever wants to be great among you, you will be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of all. For the human one didn't come to be served, but rather to serve and to give his life to liberate many people. In Jesus' eyes, the people who are important, the people who are the greatest, are those who choose to follow the way of Christ and become a servant. Jesus is a king. But Jesus is not like any other king. This king decides to give up his power 
for the service of all. Now, the Greek word that is used here for servant is the word doulos. Doulos is also the word for slave. Now, leaving aside about the history of slavery here in America, when we see that, it is, it is saying that we are called to be servants to Christ. We are not to live lives necessarily for our own self, but be it that we are called to live our lives for another. That runs against the belief in the culture here, where we want to be seen as a free person, that no one is telling us what to do. No one is the boss of me. But Jesus is saying that true freedom it's not about ordering people around. It's not about being able to do whatever you want to do. It is about serving God and serving others. The name of those sporting games that Prince Harry created, Invictus, is taken from a poem by William Ernst Hurley Henley. It has the same name. There's an interesting story behind that poem and that the, the poet himself. As a young child, he lost his left, left leg due to complications of tuberculosis. As an adult, he was now in danger of losing the other leg. So he went to a doctor in Edinburgh, Scotland, and was able to save that leg. It was while in recovery Henley wrote this poem about being determined in times of stress. It's a short poem, so I'd like to share it. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody, but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears loom the, but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. You can understand why Prince Harry chose to call this the Invictus Games. As I said earlier, this, these were games for people, for wounded veterans, many of whom have lost limbs in combat, which meant it meant spending months and years trying to rebuild themselves, trying to rebuild their lives, trying to see life differently. When life throws something at you, there is comfort in knowing that you might be able to get through this unbowed through all of the crap that you have to deal with. 
So it makes sense that someone who had lost a leg as a teen, who was getting ready to lose, who thought he might lose another leg, and now had to go through a recovery, would write a poem like this. And yet, the last part of the poem, which is probably the most famous part of it, I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul, in some ways runs counter to what Jesus is saying in Scripture. Of course, being Christ, he is the master of his faith. He is the captain of his soul. But notice that he, as he is heading towards the cross, gives up his right to control, his right to rule. His fate he places in the hands of others, others that will kill him. I said earlier that the, the disciples thought of Jesus as a king. And in the second chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippians, Jesus, Paul tries to show what it meant for Jesus to truly be a king, a messiah, that was in, in many ways very different from what we are used to and what the disciples were used to. I'd like to share and close with that passage and be thinking of what it means to be someone that gives up power and that's how you get true freedom. Paul says, adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider, him, consider being equal with God something to exploit. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, and by becoming human beings, when he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly honored him and gave him a name above all names so that the name of Jesus, everyone in heaven, on earth, and under the earth might bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He knows that he is on his way to die. It is interesting in this season of Lent, as we said, that the theme for it is uh, basically the color purple. Purple means a lot of things, and one thing that it means is royalty. Jesus is considered by his disciples to be a king, but King Jesus is not like any other king. Jesus is a servant who comes to serve. And what God is calling the disciples to do is what we are called to do. We are not to be like the rest of the world seeking power, but we are to call to be servants, to give up the power for the sake of God, for the sake of others, and for the sake of the world. Thanks be to God. Amen. <laughs>